0: Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 97. And now, a word from our sponsor. and welcome back to Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So over the course of the past 96 episodes, I've covered a lot of different topics. And while I've certainly mentioned or included clips of commercials, I have never actually done an entire episode about advertising or commercials. What's odd to me about this is that over the past nearly eight years, I've written about a number of commercials on blog posts and even on other podcasts, a number of which you'll find in show notes for this episode. Additionally, for as much as I can remember episodes of television shows or lyrics to songs, I really remember commercials. Like to the point where a commercial from 30 years ago will get stuck in my head and it will be for a product that I actually never used. I'm no stranger to earworms, even the most random ones. But thinking about how I remember all of these jingles and commercials got me wondering how it is that we remember them, even like I said, if the commercial fails to convince us to ever actually buy or use said product. Because while I never have worn windsong perfume or have never bought Windsong song perfume for a woman, I can't seem to forget the damn song. It just stays on my mind. And I know I'm not the only person who can relate to this phenomenon, because the idea that we remember commercial jingles to the point where they invade precious mental space has been used to various effects in literature and popular culture for decades. Take, for instance, the running gag of triple-dent gum in the movie Inside Out.
1: You know, sometimes we send that one up to headquarters for no reason. She plays in Riley's head over and over again, like a million times. Let's watch it again. Oh, I know,
2: we all know the song. Okay, yeah, real quick. Okay, What
1: do you think? Should we do it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go.
0: This again? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That gum commercial gets stuck in Riley's head during the most inopportune times in the movie.
1: A ticket costs money. How do we get money?
0: Mom's purse. <gasps> you wouldn't. Oh, but I would.
1: Where was it we saw it last? <gasps>
2: and, <come>. no!
0: <laughs> and that's exactly what happens to me, probably because the commercials I am talking about are designed to do that. For the most part, this is all probably psychologically harmless. I don't think that my knowing the Cocos It song or my students singing the McDonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving It or whatever jingle at random times is rotting their brains from the inside out or mine either, but it is possible that advertising and this particular method of advertising can have an overall negative effect on society. Take for instance one of my favorite novels of all time, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. A key scene involves the main character, Guy Montag, sitting on a train trying to read a book, which is illegal in the novel, by the way. But he's constantly interrupted, or his thoughts are constantly interrupted, by an advertisement for something called Denim's Dentifrice. And, well, I don't want to spoil too much the actual plot, because I intend to cover it on a future episode of Required Reading. But this scene, and then a later scene, speaks to two things about advertising. First is one of those basic tenets of commercials, you know, come up with something catchy and repetitive and people will at least remember it, and hopefully by extension buy the product. The second is that, well, in Fahrenheit 451, Bradbury is criticizing the amount of space that advertising takes up in our brains. Specifically and simply put, he's pointing out the amount of distraction in society and how that often keeps us from thinking deeply about subjects. It's a moment that demonstrates this right before Montag meets another character, Professor Faber, who essentially confirms this by talking to him about people, how people need the time to absorb information. Because in the novel, they're so bombarded with noise constantly. They're wearing, uh, they call them seashell radios, they're essentially AirPods all the time with with music and advertisements and things in their ears. And You go home and the television just surrounds the room and and there, and and the information is is quick bits and quick bits and quick bits. It's such a really shallow, elementary, superficial level that the public has been essentially conditioned to not think critically, not not take the time go through this sort of constant impatience of uh, wanting to see the next piece of information to the point where when he meets this Eng- this old English professor who, who remembers what the world was like before, you know, books were banned and, and this dystopian in which they live says that, you know, we need the time, we need good information, we need the time to absorb it and then the ability to act on it. And uh, it's a great novel. I highly recommend it. It is a depiction of a dystopian future that, to me, seems more real than, like, what Orwell puts forth in 1984. And 1984, and I guess as well as Brave New World by Elvis Huxley, are the gold standards for dystopian lit. But, honestly, and, and it's not like that Orwell's story can't or hasn't come true in some ways, but when you read Bradbury, he's almost... He's there. It's, it's, it's not hard to see it, but it's there's almost like a subtlety or a nuance to it as well. Funny enough, of all movies to, to use this nuance or subtlety to a decent extent is Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone. Granted, I haven't watched this film in years, but I always found it to be one of the better of Stallone's post-Rocky, post-Rambo 90s offerings. Commercials play into a scene where, having been woken up from being cryogenically frozen, Stallone's character is riding in the back of a police car with Sandra Bullock and Benjamin Bratt. And on the radio are the greatest hits of the day, which are old commercials.
1: You seem very much alone, John Spartan, but things aren't all that different. Perhaps you'd like to hear an oldie station. Oldies? Oh, what a relief! Uh, This is the most popular station in town wall to wall mini tunes you call them commercials Here's that classic you've all been waiting for the number one request of the day armor Armor hot dogs kids eat armor hot dogs.
2: Oh, wow. This is my fave
1: (laughs) Even kids kids with chicken pox love hot dogs dogs. 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 The dogs kids love to
0: Now, I don't know if this is direct reference to Fahrenheit 451 and Bradbury, especially since it's done in the context of a lot of other gags in the first half of the movie, where Stallone is this fish out of water in a crazy world where everything from going out to eat to wiping out after using the bathrooms and seriously, how do you use the seashells, is completely foreign. Uh, If anything, they're doing a comedic gag on Washington Irving's Rip Van Winkle but what really works about the bit that I just played is that it's a great symbol of the sheen that that society has on it, which, and the society has a pretty dark underbelly, typical dystopian future type of thing. The use of a commercial instead of, say, a song that was contemporary to Stallone's time and is now an oldie is actually an excellent choice because, while it may seem on its surface that future society has gone whack by considering old commercials forms of entertainment. It's an illustration of dwindling attention spans as well as the brazen worship of capitalism and corporations. They are to the point where artistic expression is simply marketing. Granted, I'm sure that's what people would say if that's where we are now. They were probably saying it back in Ray Bradbury's day in the 50s and the 60s. And I'm sure that Andy Warhol would have something to say about this, especially since ad jingles or slogans have been pop culture catchphrases on and off for decades and people will... All right. I will watch blocks of old commercials on YouTube. I don't know about you. There's a nostalgia associated with these things. A nostalgia that has even shown up in recent years and things like packaging on current products. I don't even know if they still do them. I know about five, 10 years ago they were doing throwback cans of Pepsi, throwback boxes of like cinnamon toast crunch and honey nut Cheerios in the supermarket. It's a type of nostalgia that is mostly positive if we don't believe life was really like that. You know, I mean, we watch an old commercial and feel good about the way things used to be or feel. The underside of that is, of course, that it can mask the truth about the past. We forget how awful the world was. We forget how awful it was for ourselves. We forget how it might have been good for ourselves, but it was awful for other groups of people. In fact, this whole concept of nostalgia is something that is laid out perfectly in an episode of Mad Men called The Carousel. Toward the end of the episode, Don Draper, he's been trying to pitch essentially that old slide projector, you know, the one, the, the, they called it The Carousel, the, the thing where you put the, round, the slides in the round thing you put on the slide projector and you hit the button and it advances the slide to the next thing. So he's trying to get Kodak's business to do the advertising and he lays the whole idea of what I was just kind of rambling about out perfectly. So have you figured out a way to work the wheel into it? We know it's hard because wheels aren't really seen as
2: exciting technology, even though they are the original. Well, technology is a glittering lure. But uh, there's the rare occasion when the public can be engaged on a level beyond flash, if they have a sentimental bond with the product. My first job, I was in-house at a fur company with this old pro copywriter, Greek named Teddy. And Teddy told me the most important idea in advertising is new. Creates an itch. You simply put your product in there as a kind of calamine lotion. But he also talked about a deeper bond with the product. Nostalgia. It's delicate. But potent. Sweetheart. Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel, it's called the carousel. It lets us travel the way a child travels. round and around, back home again. To a place where we know we are loved.
0: Good luck at your next meeting. So we've got repetition, and we've got nostalgia, and my wife, who worked in marketing way longer than I did and actually has an MBA, and my cousin, who is an ad executive, could really give a whole lecture on what advertisers and marketers do to get us to buy and to keep us buying. Even without their expertise here, I'm sure we can all think of products that are incredibly effectively promoted, like Apple. Now, I realize that Apple has this whole cult of personality surrounding it, and their product releases on are stories on the 6 o'clock news, which, seriously? But remember how damn cool those early iPod commercials were with the person with the black silhouette and the white iPod against the Technicolor background dancing to, like, Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet or something? Or how iconic their 1984 Macintosh commercial directed by Ridley Scott was, even if it was slightly incomprehensible? That was all calculated, and it paid off exponentially for the company, especially the iPod's ads. Now, sometimes it doesn't work, right? I mean, you could produce the coolest, catchphrasiest commercials of all time, and you're still not convincing me to buy your product. Beer commercials are probably one of the best examples of this. Bud, Miller, and Coors have been doing catchphrases for decades that have made their way into the cultural lexicon. But beyond my college days where I would buy Bud Light by the 30-pack because it was $15 for a 30-pack and then that meant more beer for my money and it was cheaper to get drunk that way, I have never purposely sought out a Budweiser brand beer or even a Miller brand beer or a Coors brand beer. I mean, no matter how many times I've heard... I don't know, Miller Lite was, tasted great. No, it was less filling. Or I had some like hot-looking twins advertising me you on know, Coors Light. Or had guys saying, What's up? Or Dilly Dilly or whatever the hell Bud or Bud Light has it going. And I feel the same thing with cars, too. You know, I, I'm i not a car guy. I probably should be about, up front about that. I drive a 1997 Toyota RAV4 at the moment. It has just over 200,000 miles on it. So the effectiveness of a car commercial is not something I should really judge. But I think that I see so many damn car commercials all the time, both national and local. I'm completely numb to any effectiveness that any of them might have. But then again, like I said, some people might love cars so much and really, really buy into, like, I really need to drive that car because, you know, that's a cool car commercial. It's just, it's just not, maybe it's just me. But then again, beer and car are two products where I wonder if word-or-mouth or certain established habits are going to influence your purchase more than, say, I don't know, Wooderson driving a Lincoln. I mean, the first car I bought with my own money was a Honda Civic because my parents had been driving Hondas since I was seven years old. I drink local craft beer because I'm a wannabe cool kid who wants to show off. Well... I also don't drink very often, and I tend to go for stuff that I'm going to like. And I do happen to live in Charlottesville, which has a really, really good local beer scene. So, but really, brand loyalty gets you into you pretty early in your life, and to get me to change from say Coke to Pepsi or Coke Zero to Diet Pepsi or something is a pretty big accomplishment. And by the way, even movie trailers are losing their effectiveness. Yes, I, some are really good. I mean, Star Wars trailers have been really, really good over the years. I mean, go even, I mean, I've seen the original trailers for Star Wars: Empire and Jedi. I kind of give them pass because they are of a different time and they were of a different style of movie trailer. For like, you know, back in, back in those days, trailers were not what they are now. But if you start with like the Phantom Menace and move forward, you know, they're really good trailers. That first one from the Phantom Menace which, as I mentioned, I think years ago when I did my episode on the summer movies of 1999, that thing got played on the local news. And if you were not excited about that trailer you're a fucking liar because we were all excited. People were going to see Enemy of the State just to see the Star Wars trailer. That's how huge that thing was. And, and you know, even even if if the jury in some way can be out on your appreciation of the sequel trilogy, I happen to like both of them. I really enjoyed The Last Jedi. I think The Force Awakens is a really good movie. I think it has its, its flaws. But those trailers, man, they had me... My ass was in the seat anyway. That had my ass further in the seat because I was just like, "Oh my God, let me watch it again." But at the same time, the Phantom Menace or, or any of the Star Wars movies, maybe even the Marvel movies, like aside, most trailers are really formulaic. I mean, it's got to the point with the movie theater where, like, if I have to sit through like ten minutes of trailers before my movie starts, I'm like. I want. I forget the movie. Like I honestly forget what movies were advertised. I just want to see the 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 movie at that point because they're all the same thing. Even though I enjoy the Marvel trailers. A lot of those are actually very, very formulaic. Like you know, they a lot of them have, for instance, some sort of like silly bit like right after the main title, or um, you know, sometimes there's uh, a certain tone to them. For a while, there were movie trailers, not necessarily for Marvel movies, where like you get some pop song played at a low uh, speed or whatever. It was it was just it, it's it's the same thing over and over and over again, and nothing's really distinguishing itself from um, other other things yes i realize there there are obstacles that movie marketing has to overcome for instance in the case of a massive blockbuster shooting for the widest audience possible but even if the movie feels mass produced why does the trailer all right that's enough grievances aired maybe I, i can make that a good grievance for festivus this year or something so where do I go from here? I mean, I, I jumped right into, like, all this kind of theory on advertising and negative aspects and things. And, and I wanted to, to do an episode on commercials. That was the whole point of the episode. But I'm about 15, 20 minutes in, and you're going, like, are you really going to basically lecture a paper at me about, you know, the problems with advertising? No. I just wanted to establish, like, some of the topic. Um, I wanted to talk about, like, some background and some academic things I know, if you could call them academic. Um, But I have talked about what an earworm is or what in earworms, especially ads that become earworms. I've talked about what doesn't work. But, like, the real purpose for this episode was to take a look at different commercials. Because, again... As you saw with the, the Mad Men clip, it's like advertising can give you nostalgia. It can become nostalgia after a while. And, well, after this break, I'm going to take a look at a bunch of most the most memorable commercials in my mind. Are they the best? Not really. But can I not get them out of my head even though they stopped airing years ago? Yeah. So, stick around. <laughs>
1: These messages, will be right back. Can I get
0: a tall chai? A large black coffee.
1: And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual.
0: On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review,
1: and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes
0: I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com And remember, this is where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold.
1: I like the way you make me laugh And all the crazy things you do You've got a taste that's all your own I like the sprite in you You make me want to smile you know you make me sparkle too. You're such a kick to have I like the Sprite in you. Right. a brand new look with more
0: lime and taste than ever. Now
1: that's totally refreshing. Kinda like you. I like the Sprite in you.
0: So what you just heard is a commercial for Sprite, the soda from the late 1980s. And I picked it not because it's a good commercial but because the one thing I remember about it is its inclusion in a frontline episode called The Merchants of Cool. This was an episode that aired back in 2000 or so, and it detailed how advertisers were chasing the teenagers of the late 90s because they had shown they had significant purchasing power in households. However, they weren't as easy to advertise to, and therefore advertisers were searching for COOL, an elusive concept that was incredibly influential to that generation. And by the way, in case you didn't do the math, that generation is what we now call millennials. One of the keys which Sprite did figure out was to advertise without making the kids realize that they were being pitched to. The commercial I played was this sort of old Sprite. It's one of those commercials where a bunch of mostly white people are goofing off and being happy and everything seems absolutely great because, well, they're drinking Sprite. It's the type of generic soda commercial that we saw tons of in the 80s and early 90s. But by the late 90s, the new Sprite made its way into association with rap and hip-hop. One particular example I remember was an MTV-aired album release party for someone that Sprite sponsored. It was pretty well executed. And like I said, those everyone-is-having-a-great-time commercials were all over the place in the 80s, as were ones that were, well, all about people breaking into spontaneous choreographed dance routines. Yeah, I don't get it. It's kind of like flash mobs before flash mobs were a thing. I don't think flash mobs are a thing anymore, but so thank goodness for that. But I guess you know what I mean. But really, if you go back to, say, David Naughton in the I'm a Pepper ad, you see this sort of association of a brand with fun and excitement and youth and jazz hands and Fosse choreography. And uh, I think this reaches its pinnacle in a McDonald's commercial from the mid-80s that introduced the McDLT.
1: You say you're getting tired of lettuce and tomato hamburgers in this town that don't quite make it? Yeah! You say that just once you'd like your hamburger hot and your lettuce and tomato cool and crisp all at the same time? Yeah! Well, I say you got it. I'm talking McDonald's new lettuce and tomato hamburger, the McDLT. I'm talking quarter pound of beef on the hot, hot side. And the hot stays hot. The new McDLT. Hot, hot. Crisp lettuce and tomato on the cool, cool side. And the cool stays cool, the new Nick DLT, cool crisp, the beach stays hot, the cool stays crisp, put it together, you can't
0: Yes, that's Jason Alexander. While the audience is crazy enough with its McD-LT, the video is even nuttier. I mean, he's going around to all the people on the streets and holding up what had to be the ultimate in styrofoam technology. Hot stays hot. Cool stays cool. And then it's like the invasion of the pastel wearing dance troupe or something. You could build a whole theme park show around this guy and his adventures with the mcd McDonald's, by the way, has had some of the more iconic commercials, um, especially the classic Big Mac ad that listed all of the ingredients to the point where, even though it aired way before I was born, and I don't think it was actually airing in the early 80s, I think it's a 70s commercial, it was something I knew of off the top of my head, to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. But slightly less well known is its electric boogaloo of a sequel. The menu song from
1: 1989. Hi, may I take your order, please. Big Mac, McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese fillet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, McNuggets, tasty golden french fries, regular and largest sizes, salad, Shepherd Garden, or a chicken salad, Oriental, Big Big breakfast, egg McMuffin, cakes and sausages, maybe biscuits, bacon, egg and cheese and sausages, Danish, half brown, two, and four dessert, hot apple pies and Sundays, three varieties of soft or cold, kinds of shakes and chocolate, chip cookies, and to drink a Coca Cola diet, Coke and Orange drink, writing coffee, decaf, to a loaf, and milk, also an Orange juice. I love McDonald's, but I am great taste, and I get this all at one place. Would
0: you like that to go this was much harder to memorize <laughs> I recall sitting in class in sixth and seventh grade with classmates trying to see who could rattle off as many of the lyrics as possible hey we didn't have a Fortnite or snapchat to keep ourselves distracted in 99 in class we had the menu song anyway Uh, This one's a little different than the others because it was also tied to a promotion. So it's not exactly like the Big Mac song where they expected you to just memorize to "All Be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. It was part of a promotion McDonald's was running. And I got most of this from Wikipedia. But basically, McDonald's had records of the song, either in the form of cardboard records or cheap plastic discs that were called flexi discs. And uh, they put them into the inserts that you get with the Sunday newspaper. So what you would do is you would get the record... You would put it on a record player, which in 89, 90, I would imagine a lot of households still had them. Maybe kids still had their old Fisher Price ones or people still had turntables. Fast forward a couple of years, and this would have been a terrible, terrible promotion because it would have been done, it would have been uh, completely useless. People were getting rid of record players because LPs were a dead medium by then. Although I could imagine that in the late 90s, if they wanted to go the CD route, certainly like AOL did, they could have. Anyway, so you're supposed to listen to the record, and if the singers got through the entire song without screwing up, that was the million-dollar winning record. Approximately 80 million records were distributed, and uh, this is according to Wikipedia, only one of them was a winner. The promotion was won by Galax, Virginia resident Charlene Price, who used the money to purchase the convenience store where she worked. Now, another fast food commercial that I have to note is one that barely aired at all, maybe one or two times. It was a summer promotion for Roy Rogers and was called the $2.99 Big Beef Deal, because that sounds appetizing.
2: September means, so head for Roy Rogers now and get a juicy bacon cheeseburger or a great tasting regular roast beef sandwich plus medium fries and a 15 ounce drink for $2.99. But hurry, time's running
1: out. See you soon.
0: You really do need to see this commercial to get all of it, because the visuals that go along with See You in September were shots of cafeteria ladies holding up trays of school lunches. This got the company into some serious trouble with trade unions and associations that represented cafeteria workers, and it actually led them to pulling the ad. Here is the lead from the article about the ad that ran in the New York Times on August 19, 1988. The National School Lunch Program has taken a few knocks from the Reagan administration, but none as hard as handed out by the Marriott Corporation. Marriott, which owns Roy Rogers' fast food chain, Thought to boost burger sales with the TV commercials that pokes fun at school lunchrooms. To the accompaniment of a tune, see you in September, actors dressed as cafeteria workers proffer trays of unattractive food to the camera. The school lunch program, while not perfect, has fed millions of school children free or subsidized lunches for more than forty years. In New York City, where the school lunch system serves six hundred and seventy five thousand meals a day, eighty percent of the children who receive them are from families too poor to pay. For Marriott, to praise junk food at the expensive, nutritious school fair isn't just unfunny, it is cruel to kids for whom that meal may be the best they get all day, and demeaning to those who prepare it. Marriott now promises to withdraw the ad, quote, as soon as we can. Soon can't come too soon. An interesting postscript to that, and it was obviously an op-ed, and I really should have gotten the byline, and I apologize. An interesting postscript to it, though, is that Hardy's bought Roy Rogers back, um, in the early nineties, about a year or two after this, and some of the franchisers in Maryland decided to resurrect the ad. Because according to a nineteen ninety article in the Washington Post, the promotion and ad campaign had actually been incredibly successful. Sure enough, the same exact controversy happened. It's personally been one of my favorite commercials because the way it presents the gag in such simple manner. It's it's actually kind of the precursor to that famous Staples ad with the where the guy is in Staples with his kids and they look miserable and he's all happy and like flying around in a shopping cart and they're playing Andy Williams singing it's the most wonderful time of the year because it's he's shopping for school supplies and they're just going back to school and they're out of his hair. Um, it's not too elaborate, it's just really quick, it's a repeating gag, it's on point and I think that the CU in September ad works the same way and that's why I loved it so much when I was younger and still do. Plus I miss Roy Rogers. <laughs> Up until like 10 years ago there was like one on Long Island and I think that's gone. In fact, back in 2002 on my old blog and don't look for this, it's not around anymore. I wrote about going out there with my sister just to get Roy Rogers. It was like a half hour out east in Shirley. If you're from Long Island, you would know where I where I'm talking about. Take Sunrise Highway out to the Shirley exit for uh, this is Shore River Road or whatever. No, William Floyd Parkway. William Floyd Parkway. Because you would, um, if you go south, you're going to go all the way to Fire Island with Smith Point. And Roy's was right there where the exit was. Um, I think it might have closed back in 2007 or eight. I don't know if they ever reopened them on Long Island or anything. I know that there are a couple in Northern Virginia, and there was a story a few years ago about somebody buying the remaining franchises and trying to kind of breathe life back into them. So I miss the, uh, granted, it, it's, 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 it's fast food. It's nothing I'd ever eat. But I used to love like the, the chicken and biscuits and stuff and, and the burgers and the fixin's bar. So, you know, anyway, if I can dig up the post, if I have it in my old archives, I will see if I can dig it up and put it on the pop culture affidavit blog the same week this comes out. But I'm going to stay in the fruit realm. Uh, for my next commercial, but I'm going to move from fast food to cereal. The first one is for Fruity Marshmallow Krispies, a Rice Krispie variant that I'm assuming was trying to hone in on the Lucky Charms action.
1: Fruity Marshmallow Krispies, lots of fruity marshmallow shapes. It you snap, crackle, poppin' over lots of fruit taste. Fruity marshmallow crispies, orange, lemon, raspberry, grape, and snap, crackle, and pop with lots of fruities. Oh, it's fruity marshmallow crispies, part of this complete breakfast. Mmm,
2: How fruity!
1: Fruity marshmallow crispies, you'll be snap, crackle popping over lots of fruities.
0: This is one of three cereal commercials I've had randomly pop into my head over the years, the other two being double checks. <laughs>
1: Introducing a new checks that's double delicious. I I love love double double checks checks better better than than the the rest rest corn corn rice rice sweet sweet crunch crunch double double crisp crisp bite bite munch munch. It's new, lightly sweetened corn plus lightly sweetened rice makes new double checks twice as nice. I I love love double double, double checks better, better then, than than rest corn corn rice rice ribbit. sweet sweet crunch crunch double double
0: crisp crisp bite bite munch. And crispy wheats and raisins. It's a crisp, you can't miss. crispy can't miss. Crispy
1: can't miss. It's crispy. Wheats and raisins. Honey touch flakes that stay crisp and delicious from the first bite to the last. It's a crisp, you can't miss. crispy can't miss. Crispy can't miss. The crispy part of this complete breakfast. It's crispy wheats and raisins.
0: It's strange because I never actually ate any of those cereals. I mean, I did eat Raisin Bran every once in a while, but it was Kellogg's Raisin Bran and not crispy wheats and raisins. That was General Mills' entry into the competitive world of Raisin Branning, by the way. My sister and I, though, we would sing this song at random, and we would always laugh when we did it. Maybe it was because the commercial was hilarious? You've never seen people eat Raisin Bran with such enthusiasm. I mean, wish I wish cereal would bring me such delight. The other two commercials i get they are designed to be that unforgettable type of song double checks for instance has you saying every word twice and it almost becomes a challenge for you to see how fast you can sing it fruity marshmallow Krispies, believe it or not is sort of the reason for this episode (laughs) way back in the early 2000s i used to catch myself singing it or humming the tune at random times when uh, going to and from work Like, I'd be on the Metro one day, and all of a sudden, I'd be going fruity marshmallow crispies, lots of fruity marshmallow taste, quietly to myself. Hopefully, nobody spotted me doing that, and I'm pretty sure my brain is broken. All right. My brain is broken, because I remember the lyrics, and the very best thing of all, there's a counter on this ball, so try to beat your very best score and see if you can skip a whole lot more. Hey
1: now, kids, come get around, see what just skipped in the town, so skip it, skip it, to jump to hop hop skip it skip it Scooping and a screaming and a bop to bop but the very best thing of all there's a counter on this ball so try to beat your very best score see if you can jump a whole lot more skip it skip it come on everybody skip it roaring good fun from tiger toy
0: my sister had one of these and the counter didn't necessarily work it did most of the time but i think it it counted Skippet's impact with the ground and not just the number of times it went around your leg, or, I don't know. Basically, this was a toy that was your first, your kid's first ball and chain. <laughs> you put your foot through the plastic ring, it was attached to this heavy wheel-like thing, and the idea was to whirl it around your ankle while you were skipping over the bar of plastic that connected the tracker to the ankle ring. Usually, you tripped over the thing, sometimes a friend came too close, and you slammed their, the, the tracker into their shin, which hurt like a bitch, trust me. But man, I went through fast food, I went through cereal, but we have to get to toy commercials because toy commercials, the ones at least, the ones that weren't showing off licensed action figures, they had to go all in on the catchy jingle. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, G.I. Joe and like, you know, have, here's the tomahawk chopper, here's the space shuttle, here's the terridrome, here's the... the headquarters you know or or here's the star wars thing with like wampa 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 or the masters of the universe like but these were like you know all things that we would seen in movies and tv shows and cartoons and stuff so it wasn't really like that necessary to have a catchy catchy jingle because you had already had a theme song built in from the cartoon and and you had licensed characters that we wanted anyway. It wasn't a very hard sell. It was just like, look at this cool new thing that your parents are going to need to buy you because you have all the other cool things and this would be going good with it. But then you have stuff like Skip It, which was like a one-and-done type of toy. Uh, there wasn't going to be like a Skip It headquarters or something. So you needed the catchy jingle and Skip It was effective. So was the Pogo Ball.
2: Oh. Pogo Ball is...
0: remember these. Um, These were a pretty big fad in the fourth grade. And to Hasbro's credit, they made them seem really cool by putting like trapper keeper type of designs and colors on them and daring you to come up with tricks like it was your skateboard or something like that. I don't think there's competitive pogo balling in the way that they're skateboarding and uh, I don't think I ever mastered the art of the pogo ball. Some people I knew could bounce high enough to kick their legs Back and grab it like they'd kick their legs back, let it go. Uh, where they well, they'd kick their legs back and grab it like they're doing an ollie or something, but then they would also kick their legs back, let it fly up, and catch it in midair before they hit the ground. I could barely get the pogo ball off the ground. Why there are a number of other toy commercials I could mention, um, you know, Connect Force, pretty sneaky, sis, ka you're sunk, things like that. I always come back to my buddy.
1: My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, I'll teach him everything that I know. My buddy and me like to climb up a tree. My buddy and me, where the my buddy from play school
0: now nobody knew had one of these uh, i think by the time it was released in 1985 i and my friends were all too old for it i was clearly supposed to be a preschool age toy and we were all in the second grade by then but between that damn song and the popularity of child's play everyone knew my buddy in fact there was this guy i went to high school with who would just Start singing it at random in class every once in a while. I mean, people would actually laugh at this. Why this was funny to him, I have no idea. Anyway, moving beyond catchy songs, there are commercials that were not targeted at me, but left an impression because they either ran in perpetuity or were so terrible that they were unforgettable, like Freedom Rock. <laughs>
1: man is that freedom rock yeah man well turn it up man has it all, man. 40 original rock hits by the original artists on four records, three cassettes, or two CDs. Here's more. In a white room with black curtains You see, I've been through the desert on a horse with no name Sunshine, go away today we You should get Freedom Rock too. Four records or three cassettes are only $19.95. Two CDs? Only $24.95. Here's how to order.
0: Call toll-free 1-800-632-1700 or save COD fees by sending $19.95 for records
1: or cassettes or $24.95 for compact discs. Plus $3 shipping to Freedom Rock, P.O. Box 1653, Greenville, Tennessee.
0: For a number of the as-seen-on-TV ads,
1: Hi, it's Vince with ShamWow. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. It's like a chamois. it's like a towel, it's like a sponge. A regular towel doesn't work wet. This works wet or dry. This is for the house, the car, the boat, the RV. ShamWow holds 12 times its weight in liquid. Look at this, it just does the work. Why do you want to work twice as hard? Doesn't trip. Doesn't make a mess, Ring it out, you wash it in the washing machine. Made in Germany, you know the Germans always make good stuff. Here's some cola, wine, coffee, cola, pet stains. Not only is the damage gonna be on top. There's your mildew, that is gonna smell. Look at this, put on the spill, turn it over without even putting any pressure. 50% of the cola right there. You following me, camera guy? The other 50%, the color starts to come up. No other towel is gonna do that. It acts like a vacuum. And look at this, virtually dry on the bottom. I can't live without it. I just love it. Oh my gosh, I don't even buy paper towels anymore. If you're gonna wash your cars or any kind of vehicle, you'd be out of your mind not to own one of these. All I can say is, sham wow. You're gonna spend $20 every month on paper towels anyway. You're throwing your money away. The mini sham wows are for everything, for everyday use. This lasts 10 years, this lasts a week. I don't know, it sells itself. The ShamWow sells for $19.95, but you get one for the house, one for the car, two for the kitchen and bathroom, and look at this, we'll give you a second set, absolutely free. But call now, you'll get the ShamWow Mop, a vacuum, broom, and mop, all in one. Never get down on your hands and knees again, just twist the handle to wring it out. Throw it in the washing machine for easy cleaning. Also great for pet hairs, a regular mop pushes the dirt, this'll capture it. So that's eight ShamWows for $19.95, but if you call now, Within the next 20 minutes, because we can't do this all day. You'll get the ShamWow Mop, a $20 value, free. Just pay separate shipping and handling. Here's how to order.
2: Call 1-800-786-7016. Call now to guarantee your free ShamWow Mop. And when you call, ask about our ShamWow Shutter Cleaner. Call 1-800-786-7016. That's
0: 1-800-786-7016. Call now. That's a personal favorite of mine, by the way. Because of all of it. Because he tried to pick up a prostitute a few years ago and he just kicked the shit out of him (laughs) really though the ShamWow ad is it's almost like a parody of tv hucksterism you know like like, it's so bad but then there's like the mainstream stuff that was terrible because like you know ShamWow and Freedom Rock it's they're they're produced they're nationally run commercials but they're like like the b-movie of a commercial these were like a-list ones. These were for national brands put out by companies like General Foods or or, Kraft or something. And you have stuff like this, international coffees. Remember these? Here's a commercial from the late 80s, early 90s that used to air all the time.
2: This brings back memories. <laughs> oh, these are great. What's this remind you of? Ooh, tastes like vanilla,
1: huh? Senior trip. Paris. The cafe! Yeah. Rich, creamy tasting coffee with a hint of vanilla flavor. French vanilla cafe. I
2: love this coffee.
1: From General Foods International Coffees.
2: I loved that waiter. Jean Luc. Wait
0: this is part of a trend that I'm sure that existed prior to the late 80s, but I began to notice it around then, and I want to say it was popularized by shows like 30-something, where people sat around and talked all the time. I guess the baby boomer generation was pushing 40 and had kids, so by this point, they wouldn't be spending really any time doing cool stuff, and instead would sit around reminiscing about when they actually did cool stuff. I mean, i do that. Okay, I don't do that because I never did anything cool. But if I did, I'm sure I would. Really, though... That share a moment with friends and family is basically the TV version of those terrible radio commercials where people have a random conversation. The International Coffees commercial didn't feel as forced as those, but my deep cut for this clip is a call-waiting commercial from New York Telephone that aired back in the 1980s and starred Terry Polo, who would play Ben Stiller's girlfriend in the Meet the Parents movies. Call waiting from
1: New York Telephone lets you reach home when you have to, even when someone's already on the phone. A
0: gentle tone signals your call is trying to get through.
1: Hold on, Doris. I get another call.
0: Just press the receiver to put the first call on hold and answer the second.
1: Hi, honey. I'm stuck late at the office. Better start dinner. Don't worry, Mom. With call waiting, important calls can get through. To return to the first call, just press again. It was Mom. I'm cooking dinner. Yeah, I could have so much fun, but what should I have? To get call waiting, call 1-800-THE-TONE. Order now, and the connection is free. Chicken surprise. Call waiting makes life easier in so many ways. Call 1-800-THE-TONE now to get the connection free. Call waiting puts an end to annoying busy signals and lets those important calls get through. Hello? Dad, Mom's going to be late, so I'm cooking chicken surprise. Oh, but one thing. Could you bring home the chicken?
0: What is chicken surprise, anyway? I, I I don't know. I'm sure that my junior high cafeteria served it once. It probably gave somebody food poisoning. And I wonder if this didn't end well. Like, 8 o'clock rolls around, and she's still trying to cook it, and Dad's three Michelobes in, and he wants to order a pizza while Mom just stands over her blowing cigarette smoke in her face, like, while criticizing, like, everything about her cooking? I don't know. For all I know, it tasted good. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back... I will talk about some of the best commercials out there, which are local and regional ads. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah!
1: So are we going to be working together? Really? Worst film you ever saw? Well, my next one will be better. It's the Film and Water Podcast. The Film and Water Podcast covers movies new and old, classic, and uh, not so classic. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available weekly on fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Now is the perfect time, and the season is just right. You can play all day and dance into the night. That beautiful all you have to bring is your love of everything. For reservations, phone 1 800 441 4410. All you have to bring is your love of everything. Beautiful Mount every
0: Lodge. I played that for Rob Kelly. I know it's not the one he uses as the intro to Mountain Comics but it is the Mount Airy Lodge commercial I remember for most years of watching syndicated sitcom reruns on weekday afternoons. Local and regional commercials are the domain for some of the wackiest stuff that's ever been put on the air, mainly because you usually have incredibly low budgets and ad companies or in-house ad departments who really have nothing to lose. Sometimes they go for the catchy jingle like the 8675309 of television commercials, Empire Today. Day. Or they appeal to the literal and figurative coolness of the product, like Carvel. Carvel,
1: uh, ice, cream. Carvel uh, ice cream. Carvel ice cream. ice ice cream. Every day like Carvel ice Carvel ice cream. America's ice like cream.
0: But I'm going to close us out with three commercials that to me are the epitome of the local ad. As silly and wacky and as insane as they come. This first one is an ad for Shoe City, It's a sneaker store chain in the DC, Maryland, Virginia region that began in 1949 as Eileen's Shoes in Baltimore and it became Shoe City in 1980, serving the city before expanding to what is now 39 stores in the region, reaching out as far as Norfolk and Richmond. This ad is from the late 1990s, it used to run on the local Baltimore stations doing commercial breaks of The Simpsons.
1: Make your move right here, make your move right now Your city, my she city, check us first. I said, you sit tight. We know fashion, we know style The best place to shop Your city, my city, I said, you sit tight T-shirts, sweatshirts, footwear and boots T-shirts, sweatshirts, so No one likes the city boots. like you
2: sit tight.
0: I posted this to the blog because you have to see it. It's about a dozen 90s hip hop videos rolled into one by these three kids who I imagine were related to someone and this was like their big break. They didn't even have a group name, they're just Eric, Damon, and Devon. I honestly wonder if they went anywhere with music or if they look back on this and laugh. I will say that the seven comments in this video are really nostalgia twinged and are not the cesspool that YouTube comments are. So that was kind of nice to see. And I use this not because it's terrible, because Shoe City actually made money off of it. I mean, they expanded to malls throughout the region, and kids were singing the song in class from what these people were saying. The students I taught never sang it because I think um, when I was teaching at my first school, they weren't really airing Shoe City commercials, and it was years later. But I first taught just outside of Fredericksburg, Virginia, and this commercial was on there all the time. The kids I taught were singing this. At
2: Eastern Motors, uh, you your uh, uh, you your uh, uh, you uh, Chevy, Beamers, and minivans. Over 600 cars, trucks, SUVs. Are you listening, man? Let
0: If you watch the video of the ad, and it's from the mid-2000s, you will see Baltimore Ravens star Ray Lewis, Washington and Washington football stars Clinton Portis and LeVar Arrington. And I will say that the use of rap in commercials is pretty darn effective, as long as it's not done by white people. No, really Have you ever seen like white people rapping in commercials? It's pretty awful. We have a place like that in Charlottesville, actually. It's called Freebridge Auto. It has a similar pitch. You know, you got a job and you need a car. Everybody rides. That's their actual slogan. I said uh, before that I don't find car commercials to be effective, but I think I have to make an exception for local dealership commercials like this, especially ones that stand out by trying to be odd or goofy. For a while, Freebridge had this guy running around in a modified Superman costume calling himself Freebridge Man, and he's rescuing customers from high prices. Because it shows some advertising. Like creativity because every other car commercial of the area is either like the owner, like you're supposed to recognize the owner as this like upstanding guy in the community. It's it's very, very it's almost like 50, hokey fifties in a way, like you know, I'm Bob Robertson and here's my dealership, and these are all the prices or something, or there's like <laughs> buy our cars almost like extreme. 90s comic booky type of thing the way they like you know throw it at you there's like this one here that they talk about like we're short sure so we so proud. proud it's like what the fuck does that mean but anyway so when you when you actually just come up with some sort of creative way to advertise it where people are going to remember it and separate it from the noise you know i have to give you some sort of credit but even then like I, eastern motors Freebridge Auto, Shoe City, and I know I said I was going to do three. Those aren't the three. Freebridge was kind of an afterthought. This, I guess, is a fourth one. The all time greatest local commercial. I mean, this spawned imitators. It's a business with an equally insane history. And when I say insane, I mean insane because his prices are insane. And I give you crazy Eddie.
1: You've seen the movie, you've read the book, you've got the t-shirt. Now experience it for yourself. Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and Video Blowout Blitz. Crazy Eddie's going to save you a blizzard of bucks on TVs, VCRs, anything and everything in TV and video. Remember, we are not undersold, we will not be undersold, we cannot be undersold, and we mean it. It's Crazy Eddie's Christmas and August TV and Video Blowout Blitz. See Crazy Eddie now. His prices
2: are insane.
0: Now the guy in the commercial was just a radio guy his name was jerry carroll he more or less uh swiped the shtick from a pitchman named earl madman Munts, who more or less pioneered the idea of the over-the-top commercial guy carroll began his career as the spokesman for crazy eddie when he did a live on-air commercial and read the tagline in the way you heard it a few moments ago his prices are insane you know eddie antar who was the Eddie behind the store, called him up to ask him to do that line. So he had done it on the air, and he asked him to do that line. And uh, he's like, you know, do the line the way every time you do it. And that started what would be 7,500 commercials. (laughs) Yeah, so Jerry Carroll did 7,500 Crazy Eddie commercials, or more than 7,500 Crazy Eddie commercials, starting in 1972 and ending in about 1987. He became so famous that he was parodied on SNL, and HBO is not necessarily the news. And there's even a Crazy Eddie commercial featured in the 1984 film Splash. And those ads ended not because uh, they became ineffective or became because Carol became unpopular, but because the store got shut down due to fraud and other financial issues. The history of, of Crazy Eddie is, is quite quite nuts. I mean I and and I'm not gonna do it justice here, but I'm gonna give you a very, very brief summary. Ed Antar and his family consistently embezzled money from the company. They hid millions in offshore bank accounts. In the mid to early 1980s, they decided to take the company public, and they were able to fudge their profit numbers by skimming less and less off the top. So the whole time through the 70s, they were skimming off the top, and when they went public, they just skimmed a little bit less. So it made made it seem like more money was coming in each year. And they also engaged in a money laundering scheme and inventory fraud. The company, because of this, eventually did collapse, especially after the uh, IPO, because now you're beholden to your stockholders in the public, and because things were completely frauded, and it and the the floor went out from under them because the stock price to come out. The money laundering and fraud did get tougher to hide, and Ed Antar's wife helped sell him out when she caught him having an affair. I mean. <laughs> Because seriously, when the company was purchased, the new owners saw that they owed $80 million to inventory suppliers. And that led to liquidation. Eventually, Eddie Antar fled the country. He went to Israel. And he was eventually arrested on racketeering charges in 92. He was extradited back to the U.S. in 93. He died in 2016. I honestly have to say, if this is not a movie... It should be a movie, and if it is a movie, please tell me, Like, or at least it's a do- it should be at least a documentary. It is just, it is crazy. It is insane. I just, I, I, anyway, but that's just advertising, and again, it's it's been one of those things that, that I, I haven't been able to get of my head for years, and I guess it did its job, right? I mean, I'm talking about commercials that aired and, and had their infamous ending 30 years ago. So yeah, but I'm going to hang it up for this episode. Next time, I'm going to be diving into what everybody else is doing this year. It's 2019, and that means it's the 80th anniversary of Batman. So even though I am not a licensed practitioner in Batman podcasting, I have not done the requisite postgraduate work. I'm still going to throw my hat in the ring, and I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite books of all time regarding The Dark Knight, Mark Cotta Vaz's Tales of the Dark Knight, The First 50 Years from 1989. So come back for that, and until then, you can check me out on Twitter at PopAff, at P-O-P-A-F-F. I will have a massive show notes post for this where I will put video clips of the things that I shared with you guys as well as as many links to old blog posts about commercials that I can remember and if I can find it like I said I will sh- later in this week I will share that Roy Rogers post that I wrote for my old blog back in 2000 Two, I think it was. So until then, leave a review on iTunes. If you haven't already, please feel free to write in to me and tell me what you think. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyrighted their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at TwoTrueFreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.